Thanks for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. Hey, today we're uh, continuing on in our series, Use It or Lose It. Excited about it. It's a series on stewardship. And today um, we're looking at how we can steward time. It's all his time. Amen? Everything is his. And today we're going to look at stewarding our time that's given to us. How, How many of you know we count things? Anybody count things? I do. It's that time of the year when everybody's counting down to holidays, right? We, we count things. We, we count down to all of the holidays that are coming up and how many days are left. I know people that are really excited about um, uh, how many days it is to Halloween. You know, when we talk about that, how many days to Halloween? Well, there's 23 days to Halloween. You got to just click through them one at a time, friends. Sorry. And, and then Thanksgiving, my, our American favorite holiday, right? The one that it's okay to eat way too much and just let it count. 46 days until America's favorite fat holiday. Uh, For those of us who are, some of you are excited about that. Uh, Maybe you are Jewish or know somebody Jewish. 65 days to Hanukkah. Christmas, every kid's favorite holiday, right? 78 days. Just 78 days. That's like 11 more Mondays until Christmas. If you're counting down for shopping purposes, 11. Go ahead and let that sink in. 11 more. If you haven't started, you're probably behind the curve. And if you're like me, you'll start whenever your wife tells you it's done, right? So anyway, that's what's coming up. And then New Year's, where are we going to make New Year's resolutions? for? We're, we're going to shed all the weight that we put on for Thanksgiving. 84 days. 84 days until that gets here. We count things, right? We count things that matter to us. Holidays are important to, to some of us. Uh, people count their steps, right? If you have a Fitbit, it counts how many steps you've got. You're trying to get to those 10,000. Um, people count their steps, like Cecily Wooten, making sure her, she gets in her 10,000 steps. You see her in here before and after services. She is up those stairs, around the top, down those stairs, and around. she's just making the loop, getting her steps in. Uh, on Wednesday nights, when they'd be having, in here having worship practice, um, she's making the steps, reading a book as she goes. And it's just phenomenal. It's important to her. Uh, we count calories. You can't go anywhere anymore and not see the calories posted right there on everything in front of you, right? You know, that's, that was always kind of the, the, the fun of going to McDonald's. You didn't care that there was 5,000 calories in that Big Mac. You just wanted a Big Mac. Now you have to be reminded of just unhealthy it is. Just, just leave me alone in my misery, right? If you're an OU fan, now we count losses. We still, we still count them, right? Uh, we count points. Uh, I, know, I know those that, that, like Michael Richardson, he counts points for dominoes. He knows how many uh, points that domino he plays is going to get him because he knows how to count them. He's one of those guys, if you've ever played dominoes with, with Michael Richardson, he can tell you how many uh, points you have in your hand before you ever play, after everybody's played about two dominoes. He can pretty much tell you what you've got. It's amazing what the guy can do. He counts those. He knows them. Uh, we, we count points for, uh, for Russell Westbrook, right? How many triple doubles is he going to get this season? For us Thunder fans, we're excited about that. We, we count things, right? We count our money. And we count how many times our kids have come and asked us for more of it, right? Some of you, your kids ask way more. Uh, for, for some of you, you're like, no, 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 get your own money, right? Nonetheless, we still count our money. You know, the Bible's full of counting things. Numbers were important in the, book, in, in the Bible. In fact, the Bible counts things that are important, like the Ten Commandments. There's ten of them. 
in the Old Testament. The Ten Commandments ruled the day. They were the things that mattered. There were ten plagues that finally convinced uh, Pharaoh to let God's people go. Uh, there were seven days in creation. There were three days in the grave. There were seven days that they circled uh, uh, Jericho. And on the seventh day, they circled it seven times. Counting things was important to God. In fact, it was so important to him that he named a book of the Bible numbers for crying out loud. If you think your accountant is rough on you, God is a tough accountant, amen? Entire book, this devoted accounting the numbers. How many people were in this tribe and that tribe and this family and that family? He counted things that mattered. Well, in the book of Psalms, we're going to find something there that devotes uh, and tells us we're, we're to count the thing that matters and, and, and describes what one of them is. Now, the book of Psalms is a collection of, of hymns or uh, of songs and poems that were written in ancient times uh, during periods of mourning and rejoicing, uh, turmoil and victory. And the oldest psalm in the Bible, everybody just attributes the book of Psalms to being written by David, but it wasn't all written by David. In fact, the oldest psalm in the Bible is Psalm number 90, and it was written by a guy named Moses. Yeah, that Moses, the one from Exodus. He wrote the oldest psalm, and may, may be familiar with Moses. They've made a couple of movies about his life. Charlton Heston stood up there with the Ten Commandments, right, in the movie. And then, and then he was in the little cartoon movie that was made after that. They've made some movies about Moses. He wrote the oldest psalm in the Bible. And if you were to look there at the top of chapter number 90, it says, written by Moses, the man of God. Folks, that's a title, right? You know, in the Bible, if it says, and Moses, the man of God. Dude walked with the Lord. It was really important. We should all aspire to that, that we would say about each and every one of us, he's a man or he's a woman of, she's a woman of God, to know that we walk with the Lord. It's really important. So Moses writes this psalm, and he drops some wisdom right here in the middle of his words. In the middle of talking about how life is short and it's filled with sorrow, he says this in verse number 12. He says, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may learn wisdom in our hearts. It's important that we get it. It's important that we do number our days and really understand some things. So let's dig a little deeper here. Now here's a picture I want to show you. It's a picture of a mayfly. I know it's kind of weird to have a picture of a mayfly right here in service, but you know what? It's, it's important and we'll get past the fact that it's weird because sometimes we do weird things, but let's just get past that. You may or may not know, but the mayfly has the shortest lifespan of any of God's creation. 24 hours. 24 hours is all of its lifespan that it's expected. In fact, its lifespan is so short that it is referred to as the one-day insect. Some adult females, now how they decide when it reaches adulthood, I don't know. But in research, adult females may only live five minutes. Could you imagine reaching the end of the day and saying, boy, I wish I could have done more with my life at the end of the day. So 24 hours, that's all its lifespan is expected. On the other hand, this next one is the bowhead whale. And the bowhead whale is the longest living creature that we know of. Its lifespan is about 200 years, 200 years. Pretty impressive, right? It takes about 77,015 mayflies to equal the lifespan of this one whale. 200 years, pretty phenomenal. And then, and then there's, there's us, right? Yeah, there's us. 
That, that's me. It's cute little guy, huh? And some of you are wondering what happened. I, I get that all the time. It's okay. I have children. They remind me all the time that I used to have hair. Kyle reminded me as I was um, mocking him for his man bun that I was just jealous. And I said, absolutely. Absolutely. Some people get to count their hairs. For me, it's a lot faster. God, for the rest of you, has to keep track because there's no way you could count yours. Nonetheless, there's, there's us. Somewhere we're in between the mayfly and the bowhead whale. We're not going to ever live up to the, to the bowhead whale in its length of time, but neither are we uh, born with a toe tag that says a number on it that's to explain the number of our days. We're not given that information when we're born. Nowhere does it say, hey, you know what? This person is going to be born, and they're going to live for 77,000 days. It's not going to happen. We don't know that we're going to live 35,000 days. We don't know how many days are in our life. That's why Moses' explanation here was really important. He said to teach us, Lord, teach us to number our days. It's not like, again, that we're born with this toe tag. But what, and knowing the number of the days is not even Moses' intent in his, in his writing here. It's for us to be able to understand the brevity and to make sure that we have quality of days available to us. Life's short. Life is short. James says it's but a vapor. It's here and then it's gone. In the span of eternity, it's not going to last in a, a really long time when we look back on it. It's kind of like when we go through these trials and temptations and these, these horrible moments, uh, horrible situations, when we look back on them, that didn't last all that long. But when we're in the middle of them, it feels like forever. I learned a long time ago that when it comes to raising children, the days drag on, but the years they fly by. You may at the end of the day go, oh my goodness, is this day ever going to end? No, it's, it's not. It's not. But you're going to look back on the years and you're going to go, where did the time go? That's the way life works. And what Moses is saying here is it's not about a number. Yes, teach us to count the number of our days. In other words, help us to take measure that we have only so much time. And one day our number is going to be up. Sometimes we feel like our number's up when we're waiting at the doctor's office. Amen? There's a reason why they call us patients because they expect us to have it. Sometimes we feel like our time is up when we have to wait on our spouse to get ready for church. For those two of you that said amen, I'll pray for you this week. But when you're in a hospital, don't call me, okay? <laughs> Sometimes we feel like, you know what? We're, we, we are going to die and our day is up while we're waiting on them to bring the chips and queso at Ted's. Sometimes we feel like our number is up when we're waiting on the kids to get out of school because we've got someplace to be, and they're taking forever to actually get there. What Moses was emphasizing here is this. We've got to remember that we're not in control. We're not in control. It may seem like it. We may wish that we were, but at the end of the day, we are not in control. Like the psalmist said last week, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He's in control of everything, Amen. He's the one who numbers the days. He's the one that it says in Psalm 139, you have written the days of my life in a book. Before I was ever born, you have written them there. God knows exactly how many days are in our life. He knows, not me. 
I wish I did, because if I did, I would do whatever I wanted to do until I got close. But that's exactly why God does not do that. If we knew, hey, you know what? When you get to uh, 62 and a half, you can forget retirement because you're going to have a heart attack. You would live like crazy until about 55, and then you would think, okay, how am I going to prevent that heart attack that's coming? There's a reason why God doesn't let us know every detail of our life that's coming. We wouldn't trust him if we did. We've got to get past that want to know and that want to be in control because we are not in control. We're not. The Lord is. He's the one who owns everything. It's our job to steward the time that we've been given in service to the Lord. That's why Moses completed the sentence, Lord, teach us the number of the days of our lives so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. So that we may develop wisdom. I want to have wisdom. Wisdom isn't about an age. Wisdom is about understanding. We need wisdom on how best to steward our time. That's what our bottom line this week is. If you don't remember what a bottom line is, that's the main thing we want you to get from today. The bottom line is this, Lord, help us to use our time wisely. Help us to use our time wisely. In a year, we're given 8,760 hours. That's how many hours are in every single year. On average, we spend them all pretty well equally the same. If you sleep eight hours a night, you're going to sleep 2,920 hours. That's about a third of the time. If you work 40 hours a week, you'll spend 2,080 hours a year working. If you're in school, kids, you're going to spend about 1,500 hours actually in the classroom. We spend 408 hours sitting at a table with food in front of us eating, which produces 88 hours in the bathroom. We spend 42 hours in traffic. 42 hours a year in traffic. Some of you spend more, some of you spend less. We spend 304 hours on Facebook watching everybody else live their best life that we couldn't imagine. Being envious of something that most people put out there that's not exactly the real deal. We spend 104 hours in church, and that's if you come every single Sunday and Sunday only. And I'm not going there about whether or not you do that. So after sleeping, working, and eating, we're left with about 3,000 hours a year to do something with. So the question today is, are we going to invest it or are we going to waste it? How are we going to spend our time? Because we are going to spend our time. Solomon said it best in Ecclesiastes 3.1. He said, for everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. Every season. There is a, uh, for everything there's a season. And there's a time for every activity under heaven. There's a time for it all. Are we going to spend it or are we going to waste it? Because time, once you spend it, you can never get it back. It's the one commodity that you can never create more of. You can make more money. You can uh, buy more houses, earn more, uh, buy more clothes. You can earn all kinds of stuff. But at the end of the day, once you spend the time, you can never, ever regain it. When we think about wasted time, there are plenty of examples out there that we could look for. Those examples abound. Think of the countless hours that kids have spent in front of a TV playing a silly game. But while most would consider that, to be a waste of time. It could be a precious reprieve from their stressful day of learning and education or, or listening to mom and dad tell them what to do. Who knows? 
But that same reprieve is not unlike a, a mom's necessary retreat to her room after dealing with the children all day while dad's been away at work. It's not the particular event that determines whether or not it's a waste, but it's the amount of time that's given to that particular activity that is not productive. The most tragic story that I find in the Bible of wasted time is the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. It's a story we're all familiar with, right? It's a story about uh, redemption. It's a story about waste. It's a story about God's love and how he demonstrates it for us. And, and the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal son comes to his dad. There's two boys. He comes to his dad and says, Dad, divide my inheritance and give to me that which is mine now. The father agrees to it, gives him his half, and the, the younger son says, peace out, I'm out, I'm done, I'm gone, takes his money and leaves, and the Bible says that he goes to the far country where he squanders his inheritance, spends it on immoral living, buying things that he can't have, uh, buying friends that don't care, uh, spending it on everything under the sun until finally he squandered it and spent everything, and now here he is literally feeding the pigs. And he's starving, he's hungry so much that he begins to eat the slop that's found there. And in this process, the Bible says he comes to his senses and says, even one of my father's servants is treated better than this. He gets up and begins to head home. Now in this story, he wastes his resources. There have been plenty of, uh, of sermons that have been given about his resources and how he wasted everything that was given to him. And when he returned home, he had nothing to show for it. He comes home knowing that he's been a failure, just hoping to be made a slave. But nonetheless, he returns home. He wastes his influence. Obviously, his family had great resources. And resources are only as valuable with as well as they are invested. They're best utilized when we're using them to influence others for the kingdom of God. We can waste money. Statistically speaking, if someone becomes a, a multimillionaire by the third generation, statistically speaking, the money has completely been lost. It's completely been wasted. It is no more because they have wasted their influence. It's, it's been squandered. Saddest of all in our story of the, the prodigal son, though, he wasted his time. Precious time that could have been spent with his father. Time isn't something that we can get back, and he wasted so much of it. He wasted it on immoral living that left him empty and poor. He wasted it uh, with others who wouldn't help him be better in life or those who were only on the take is what he spent all of his time and money on. And worst of all, he wasted his time apart from the father who so lavishly loved and gave to him. It's the greatest waste on a grand scale because we can never get those moments back to be alone with God. But on the other hand, we see the picture of a father who wasn't wasting his time. Stop and think about it for just a moment. The father wasn't wasting his time. He was sitting on the porch and he was watching and he was waiting and he was praying. He was watching because he knew that his son was going to come home because he knew one day his son would come to his senses and remember there's a father who loves him, that there's a home to come home to, there's a family to belong to, there's a value that's been assigned to him. And most importantly, there's still time to be given from the father. We've got to come back to our senses. Many of you in this room are just like the father. You have a prodigal that's away, and you're watching, and you're waiting, and you're praying. Let me just encourage you, stay the course. 
Stay the course. You are not wasting your time watching and waiting and praying. Stay the course. Know that one day they're going to come through those doors. You may never see it. One day they're going to come through those doors. You may least expect it, just like this father did. But the moment that he saw his son coming down the roadway, he jumped up and took off a running. Why? Because he knew that day would come because of the time he had invested into his son, because of the love that had been given, because of the lessons that had been taught, because the father had truly invested in the son. Folks, in the same way, God's invested in us. Think of the time that he's given us. Think of the resources that he's placed in our hearts and in our lives. But again, time, once spent, can never be regained. So we can waste time like the prodigal son or we can invest it. Either way, it's spent. Invested time is something that reaps a dividend far beyond the cost to gain it or the value gained from it. Think about this, when you invest time into your marriage, what happens? Well, we provide our kids a resource that forever marks their lives to watch mom and dad build a marriage that lasts. When we invest time with our kids, we sow into their future by depositing value that will shape them into who they are going to become as an adult and make memories that they'll cherish for their lifetime. When I show my kids that they're much more important to me than the football game that's on, or, or my favorite show that I really want to catch up on, or the latest book that I'm reading, or a cool new church graphic I'm trying to come up with. Some of them are cool and some of them are a waste. But nonetheless, it takes time that you're investing in that. But when I demonstrate to them that they're more important than that, it shows them the value that they possess. When we invest in our spiritual lives, when we invest in that with time alone with God in prayer and in the Bible, we feed our spirit. And, and it's a nourishment that we so desperately need in our spirit. But we have to invest time into it. When I pray and I listen, I'm given a conversation with the creator of the universe. Something so vital and so important that we can never have enough of it. But we have to invest time to do it. I have to invest time in listening and not just talking. You ever had a conversation with somebody that was a one-way talker? You don't have to lift your hand. Don't point at your neighbor or your spouse. I'm not asking. But we, we've all been there, right? Just a little nod of the head. Some of you are getting it. Yep, yep, yep. That person that never listens, you talk and you talk and you talk, and they, man, they just never stop, do they? The whole time that you're there to tell them all about the issues that you've got and all they do is remind you of how yours, theirs are worse than yours. Anybody feeling me? Again, I'm, not, I'm asking you to point at your mother-in-law. We, we've, all, we've all traveled down those roads, right? With one-way conversationalists. Man, it's no fun. I think sometimes God, when we come to our prayer time, is sitting up there in heaven and he's going, listen. Be quiet just a moment and listen. Does he want to hear what we have to say? You bet. He just wants us to value the time we have with him in the same way to receive from him. Not just an answer, but the conversation. You know what I've learned in my life to cherish more than anything at my age in life? Time with my mom and dad. If you've lost your mom and dad, you understand exactly what it is I'm talking about. I value the, the time I can spend with my folks. They're getting older. They're not old by any stretch of the imagination. My dad's a bionic man. He'll probably outlive me. Who knows? But I value the conversation. 
Do I agree with everything that he tells me? No. But then again, if I agreed with everything somebody said, probably means one of us is useless. Where's the uniqueness that we're to bring to the table? So in this, in this journey, I've learned to value that. In the same way, I want to value the conversation that I can have with my heavenly father. I want to know that when I experience him and he talks to me, I want him to know that it matters to me what he said. So I want to invest in that. The same way when I invest in my own soul through a time of Sabbath, I have a chance to recharge and, and be nourished so that I can live at the pace that God designed me to live at and not worry about burnout because it's a breakneck, uh, breakneck speed that I'm missing the point. The problem that most of us struggle with is for far too many, we are breathing but not living, we are talking but not praying, and we are working but not enjoying. We're nowhere near satisfied when, with God with what God has entrusted to us. We live filled with envy of somebody else's walk with God, of somebody else's blessing, their bank account, their cars, their clothes, their body type, their hairline, for crying out loud. We Americans are some of the most envious people on the planet. We surf Facebook and we begin to, uh, to go and, and Facebook stalk people and what are they up to and what have they gotten? What are they wearing and what kind of car are they driving? You know, we, we, we want to know how is it that their life has more than mine. My goodness, I just want to enjoy the life God's placed in front of me. I want to be satisfied. I, w- I, w- I want at the end of the day to remember that God is most pleased with me when I am most satisfied with him. At the end of the day, that's what matters. God would love for us to be satis- so satisfied that we are his and that he is ours. At the end of the day, that's what matters. So if we're going to invest our time, let's invest it well, amen? Galatians 6, 7 through 9 tells us, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh will reap from the flesh destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Boy, that last part of it, boy, really. Let us not become weary in doing well. Don't grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. See, some of you who are here today, you're saying, but you know what, pastor, that's just not being true in my life. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. I'm doing everything that the Bible says. I'm trying to do everything the way that God would want me to, and I'm not seeing the harvest. I'm sowing, and I've been giving, and I've been doing all these things, but I'm not seeing the harvest. Don't give up. Don't give up. Whatever you're facing, don't give up. Never, like like the old uh, uh, Winston Churchill said, never, never ever, never, 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 never give up. No matter what you're facing, never give up. Stay the course. See it through. Trust that God's going to make it come through in his time and his way. Trust him. Stay the course. If we're going to reap what we sow, let's sow or invest well. Let's sow our time in an investment that is going to reap dividends beyond what we could imagine, and that's the kingdom of God. It's not popular to talk about investing in being holy anymore. Oh, we start talking about holiness and people get nervous. We start talking about living right and people get nervous. We start talking about, you know, that there's a price to be paid one day. If we don't live right, people get nervous. We love the idea that grace covers everything. And please understand me, God's grace is that good and does cover it for those who choose to remain covered. 
Now, nothing can force me out from under it. I believe what the Bible says, but baby, I can sure walk away from it. You better believe that we can walk out from under the canopy of God's grace. We have to choose to invest in being holy. I get it. Some of you are going, oh, pastor, I, ooh, holiness? I thought we were in the 2017. Yeah, holiness. In 2017, the Bible still says without holiness, we won't see God. But holiness is defined a little bit differently. We've got to invest in holiness. We've got to invest in being holy before God. I've never met somebody at the end of their life said, you know what? I wished I had lived an immoral lifestyle and reaped all of the destruction that came with it. I wish, oh, I wish I'd been a sinner, you know, and lived immorally and, and, and was promiscuous in my life and, and caught, gone to her pacifilades and everything that came with that and all the fun. I've never met anybody that said that. You know what? You know what I have heard? I've heard people say, I, I literally watched a man stand at his wife's casket and say, you know what, pastor, this is the only woman I have ever loved. This is the only woman I have ever kissed. This is the only woman that I have ever enjoyed the great benefit and blessing of marriage with. This is the only woman that that has ever happened to. There's nothing wrong with standing there and say, I have lived my life the way God wanted me to live it, and today my wife is going to be buried. There's nothing wrong with at the end of the day, at the end of our life, standing before God and saying, God, my whole life I devoted to you, and I have lived the very best that I could to do that. There's nothing wrong with saying I will not participate in sin. There's nothing wrong with saying I'm going to be holy because without holiness, I won't see God. Invest in holiness. Invest the time in setting aside the things that don't matter. If we're going to invest well, let's invest in others. Man, winning people to Jesus never gets old, does it? Winning people to Jesus is one of the greatest joys in life. Let's invest in people, let's invest in the next generation. They deserve our very best. Let's invest in the next generation. And folks, this is, again, this is about time. Invest in the next generation. You have kids, you have grandkids, you have nieces and nephews. Invest in the next generation. You know what is incredibly difficult to do and probably impossible? It's impossible for one generation to disciple themselves. You know what's also really hard to learn? How to change a spare tire by yourself. You know what's really hard to do? Learn how to mow the yard by yourself. My dad taught me these things. My dad showed me. That, per that first tire I ever changed was perfectly fine. And my dad made me take it off. And put on that sorry little donut of a spare and drive around on it for a while. Because I needed to learn that it wasn't a tire to be driven on permanently. So that when I had a flat and didn't have the money to get a new tire, I learned very quickly it's not a tire to drive around on. You don't learn these lessons unless someone teaches you. We've got to invest in the next generation. They've also got to learn that it's okay to say no. Not just to drugs, not just to, to immoral living. They need to learn that it's okay to say no to letting people uh, uh, do things and say things about us. They need to learn to stand up for themselves. Now, I've told you the story uh, probably in, uh, countless times when Cade was in kindergarten, he was in the gym, and he and another little boy got in a little, little scuffle. And then, so we get a call from the, the office, and they say, hey, your son got in a fight at school. And we thought they were joking, but sure enough, he did. So we go, and, and, and our thing has always been, if you start it, you're in trouble when you get home. 
Somebody else starts it, you're in trouble if you don't defend yourself. So we get there in the school, literally, their, their explanation for what he should have done. And he didn't start it. This kid walked over and punched him in the chest for no reason when they got into it. And the next thing you know, it turns into a slap match like you can imagine kindergartners doing, right? You know, you know and there's not hitting either one of them, you know, which that was a whole different story. Immediately he was put in jujitsu. Let's learn how to take care of this. So the school's explanation for what he was supposed to do Stand up, square your shoulders, and say, stop, I don't like that. I looked back at his teacher and I said, do what? Every redneck bone in me came out. Do do what? Come again? How's that? Square your shoulders and put your hand out and say, stop, I don't like that. Cade, if you ever get punched and stand up and square your shoulders and say, stop, I don't like that, you're going to get a spanking when you get home. (laughs) You will defend yourself. You will learn that it's okay to tell someone, stop doing that. It's okay to stand there, square your shoulders and say enough is enough. If we don't teach them that in the physical, how are they ever going to learn that in the spiritual? How are they ever going to learn to stand up for themselves and say, devil, that's enough. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We have to teach the next generation, it's okay to say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going there. I'm going to stand up for myself and stand on the word of God and believe that God's word is true. We've got to invest in the next generation. Again, we're talking about time. When was the last time we took out a young person, your nephew, your niece, your grandson, your children? And took them to do things they've not ever done because, folks, listen, time is not ours to control. We've got to invest it well. At the end of the day, we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account for what did we do with what God placed in our lives. Did we steward well? We're going to spend it. We might as well invest it. I remember years ago, Young man standing in Pastor Mike's office back in the day at Crossroads. We were talking about finances and this and that. So what was one thing, you know, you, at this stage in your life that you wish you would have known when you were my age? <clears throat> I was a really young man. He was not quite as old of a man. <laughs> Things happen. I stand, stood there and said, well, what would you do different today if you know what you know now? We were talking about finances. He said, oh, I would have invested so much more money in the market. Really? Because the market was doing this number. It was on a downhill slide. I said, really? you would have invested more? He goes, absolutely. The more you put into it, the more you can get out of it. You got to invest it. So, oh, well, all right. Friends, at this stage in our lives, There's things that a younger person needs to know that we know. We've got to invest that. And again, I'm not talking about your money. I'm talking about your time. 
When was the last time you sowed what you have into their lives because you've built a relationship with them. We've got to invest in their lives and not just let it go to waste. We have so much to offer, but we've got to invest that time. After all, Moses said it best when he said, teach us to number the days of our lives so that we can develop wisdom. We've gained the wisdom because we've gone through it. Let's pass that on. Let's invest that into the next generation. In an issue of the Gospel Herald, there was a piece that was written entitled, Do It Now. And it simply says this, if you have work to do, do it now. If you have a witness to give, give it now. If you have a soul to win, win them now. If you have an obligation to discharge, discharge it now. If you have a debt to pay, pay it now. If you have a wrong to write, write it now. If you have a confession to make, make it now. If a preparation to make, make it now. If you have a child to train, Train them now. Remember, this, this time is passing and we are passing out of time. We're a procrastinating lot. It's always what we're going to do tomorrow that entices us, but it's only what we do today that counts. One of my mentors taught me a long time ago this simple saying that's shaped who I am as a man, as a minister, that I will do today what others won't so that I can do tomorrow what others can't. I'll do today what others won't so that I can do tomorrow what others can't. That's why we've, we've got to ask the same thing that Moses did. Teach us, Lord, to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Friends, as we talk about time, and I know this is not one of those, wow, let's all get fired up and revved up and run out of here, woo, kind of a message. But you know what? This is some of the most practical things that we need on a regular basis. Time is not this fixed number that we know what it is, you never know when your time is up. You never know that today might be your day that you're gonna pass into eternity. You could leave this building, get in your car, and not make it past the corner of 40th and Penn before your time is up because a, a, a driver doesn't see you, never, never sees you come and runs the stop sign, whatever the case may be, hits you and you are ushered into an eternity as we watch the ambulance arrive. You never know when your day is up. Don't waste another opportunity. Don't let another moment pass us by without knowing for sure that number one, we're right with God. Number two, that we're investing, we're passing on what's been given to us. We're to pass that along to the next generation. We're to teach them and raise them up, not send them on their way, but raise them up so that they can take the stand that we've taught them to stand. We've got to raise them up and entrust in them the same thing that's been entrusted to us. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, perhaps you're here today and you'd say, you know what? I've been allowing time to just kind of pass by, just kind of mosey on down the road. and I've not really paid attention to what it is that's in front of me. If you're here today and you've kind of just been, oh, one day I'll get around to really committing my life to Jesus. Today, my friend, is the day. If you're here and you'd say, I've just allowed time to mosey on and I've not really, not really devoted my life to Jesus and I've allowed sin to rule the day. But today I want to commit to him because I don't know. Friend, to hear me say, I don't know when we're going to stand behind this pulpit preaching your funeral. You don't know when that day is going to be. If that's you, and today you want to commit your life Maybe brand new for the first time to Jesus. 
Would you slip up your hand? You've allowed sin in your heart. You've kind of done it your okay. I see those hands. Who else? Come on. Anybody else? All right. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what? I've not really devoted my, my life to honoring God with my time. I've punched the clock. I've done the typical American spiritual thing, but I've not really given him time. I've not invested time in my spiritual journey. If that's you, you want to make a change. Today, you want to learn to invest your time in your walk with the Lord. Would you slip up a hand? All right. Yeah. All right. Folks, this is where the rubber meets the road. What are we going to do with the time? What are we going to do with the time? In just a moment, our elders and prayer team are going to come around these altars. And if you raised your hand and said, I want to give my life to Jesus. And today is your day. And as, as the elders and prayer team come and as those who are going to respond and say, you know what? I want to learn to invest my time. I want to invest in growing my relationship with Jesus. And I want somebody to agree with me as they come. I want you to make your way. Today you're praying for salvation. These altars are for you. And if, if today you're here and you say, you know what I've got? I just need somebody to agree with me about prayer and prayer for whatever. A doctor's appointment, an issue with a family member, whatever the case may be, we want to do that. These men and women are, are equipped. They're godly. They know how to touch the throne of heaven. So again, all, all across the room, would you stand right where you're at? Elders, prayer team, would you make your way? All across the room, would you stand? And as you're standing and the elders and prayer team are coming, if you want to pray, you're ready for someone to agree with you, today's your day. Make your way out of your seat where you're at. Come on down. They're going to begin to sing. And as they do, we're going to turn this into a place of worship. If you are, are, are needing prayer for any reason, we want to agree with you in prayer. We want to walk this journey out with you. So if you raised your hand, I want to learn to invest my time spiritually. I want to devote my life, my, my, my time to growing, to learning to be holy, to do what God wants. Come on, begin to make your way this way. We want to agree with you in prayer. So as they sing, we want to invite you down. Come on, all across the room.